Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. Y'all want to hear a podcast about why me and this bitch here fell out? <laughs> kind of long but full of suspense it's mike and i go to the movies i'm mike smith and joining me as always is a man who has taken up residence on fear street and is working to break the witch's curse <laughs> mike decretia how you doing today mike i'm doing great i'm excited uh to talk about a few movies and then listen to you talk about many movies <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah we're doing uh, one of our loose kind of discussions episodes today just talking about some of the stuff we've been watching recently uh, and for Mike D, that has been three movies that are kind of a TV show, but really they're movies. It's it's kind of a it's a gray area, I think, for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we're going to do that, I would I would call it a trilogy of movies personally. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it is a trilogy of movies, but like the release model is like something that could only really happen like today. You know, it's a, yeah. that's, it's a very like new, unique thing. Uh, and we will talk about that as well. Of course, those are the three Fear Street movies uh, that happened on Netflix. I've only watched the first two of those, by the way. Uh, so we will, we will get into those pretty soon. And then you have one other movie to talk about. And then I have like 10 recent releases that uh, I have not gotten to talk about on the podcast yet. So I'm going to uh, try to run those down relatively quickly, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> There's no rules. It's an off mic episode. Exactly. This is a, a loose bonus episode discussions thing uh, where we kind of just talk about whatever we've been doing. What have you been doing, Mike? What's been going on in your life? Uh, well, so July is apparently wedding month. Uh, I had one earlier around the 4th of July, which we talked about with my cousin. And then I had one uh, this past weekend uh, for my friends from college. And uh, we were I was a groomsman along with producer Colin was there. Uh, so it was a fun time. Just got to hang out with him two weeks ago and then hang out with him again this weekend. Uh, so that's been exciting to get to hang out with people because uh, because COVID, you know, haven't sure. gotten to do that. Everybody had to be vaxxed to be at the wedding. Uh, so that was very exciting, you know, kind of get to be half indoor, half outdoor a little bit kind of thing. So you get to okay. a little loose with the mass, a little more relaxed because, uh, like we said, everybody had to be vaccinated. So it was a big fun party time, uh, f- which is, I guess, the first time I've done that in a year and a half. So definitely yeah. a little nerve wracking at some point. And uh, I don't know, maybe I, I feel a little froggy still in the voice. I don't know if how I sound to people, but I feel a little bit. Uh, so it's like, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, my old, I think is what I'm getting at here where I've <laughs> we partied on Saturday. I'm still still feeling a little sluggish unless it's maybe like the first time I was around a big group of people and I just immediately got sick, um, <laughs> which would be awful. I don't think that, that's what happened. Yeah. But you also haven't partied in like a year and a half. You know, you yeah, gotta, you, like you gotta build your, your tolerance back up a little bit, you know? Yeah. I am not in prime drinking shape anymore. Uh, so <laughs> You know, we partied uh, Thursday night was the rehearsal dinner. So we got drunk at that. And then Friday, we got drunk at the hotel. And then Saturday, we got drunk at the wedding. So what a late night it is right now is what I'm saying. Like, maybe let's do the fast version. Yeah, I apologize for that. Uh, Yeah, I actually I went back to uh, my first uh, real big live music uh, since uh, COVID really happened. I, I did talk about my experience uh, accidentally seeing a band called Lavender Country uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a while back. That was a few, that was like two months ago at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was like a show in like the back of a winery. So it was like you know, a couple hundred people kind of in there, which was a lot of fun. But this was like a full on like sold out amphitheater show for uh, Trampled by Turtles, the uh, jam band, which uh, you're a big fan of. Right, Mike? 
Yeah, I haven't really listened to them in a while, but yeah, they saw them at Mountain Jam, and they're like a bluegrass kind of thing. Uh, yeah, kind of like a bluegrassy thing. They played some covers in there too. They threw in like a Warren Zevon song and nice. uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, they're they're really fun live, like really cool. And it was just like that, like what, like kind of looking around the amphitheater. I was like, this is easily the most people I have been around in a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so it's a, it's kind of a surreal feeling at first, uh, but, uh, you know, kind of ingratiating myself kind of back into the world, have some more concerts coming up in August. Uh, there's a lot of stuff coming to Missoula pretty soon, which I am excited about. Uh, and like you spent the weekend drinking uh, this past <laughs> this past weekend uh, when it's my girlfriend's family's ranch and they kind of had like a family reunion thing going on over there, uh, which at, at my family reunions, whenever my family gets together, it's always like a lot of drinking. And yeah. uh, I, I've come to learn that there's like less drinking at there. <laughs> at their things. That was uh, the point. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, so we were like, I, I was drinking and like other people were, but like, I was like, oh man, I'm on like beer number six. What are you on? I'm like three. It's like, oh geez. Maybe I should slow down. <laughs> hey. Yeah. But uh, anyway, today we're talking about motion pictures, the, the movies. movies. Exactly. The movies. And we're going to be discussing uh, what we've been watching recently. So I think I'll start off uh, with mine first, and then we'll go into some mics and mine and back and forth and so on and so forth. Uh, but first, got to tell you that all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. We are our social media is done by Danielle Clark. You can follow her podcast, No More Late Fees. And if you ever want to contact us, find something we did on the show, uh, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. So now let's get into some discussions. Watch this. All right, it's time to get into some discussions from Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, and I'll go first since I have a lot more stuff to get into. Uh, Seems for reasonable. The podcast. Uh, so here we go. First, I want to talk about a new comedy horror movie that uh, came out a few weeks ago. Actually, it was on the cover of Fangoria magazine uh, recently, too. Uh, directed by Josh Rubin, who is the director of a movie that Mike really loved called Scare Me. Uh, I've not seen that yet. Uh, but this movie is called Werewolves Within. And I had a really fun time with this movie. Uh, this is starring Sam Richardson, Milana Vaintrub, and a solid cast of kind of supporting comedic people who just kind of been around, like Cheyenne Jackson, who's on 30 Rock back in the day, and Michaela Watkins, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, basically, it's a murder mystery if the mystery was not murder, and instead, who in this town is a werewolf? Uh, <laughs> It's it's like Clue meets Werewolf kind of thing. Kind of yeah. Thing. Based uh, off the game Werewolf. Well, well yeah. I mean, the video game Werewolves Within, which is based off say. the board game Werewolf, which is yes. also Mafia. Yes, which I have played the game Werewolf, and it is a lot of fun. That's a good, that's a good game to play with a party and a group. Uh, and Werewolves Within, I think, actually does capture the spirit of that board game pretty well. Just wow. like that kind of idea of like well-drawn-out, fleshed-out characters, and it's a very sharp, funny script. Like, it did really keep me guessing. It's a good whodunit, because I was like genuinely confused on who the werewolf was going to be uh, for the entirety of its runtime until it's finally revealed. Uh, and that was a pretty fun reveal. Uh, and yeah, it is based on the video game Werewolves Within, which I had never heard of before this movie came out. Uh, I guess it's like a PlayStation VR game. Uh, yeah. And like I, I happened to cross it at GameStop like not too long ago. Like I was kind of perusing GameStop uh, while at the mall waiting for my girlfriend to do something else. Uh, and so I was like, I'm kind of just going through the games at GameStop, saw werewolves then there. It's like five bucks used. Like it's I don't think it's a, a particularly well-loved game or anything. No. Yeah, I've heard uh, the screenwriter and I can't remember her name, which is unfortunate. It's been on a bunch of the 
podcasts, you know, making the rounds uh, to promote the movie. And she was talking about uh, the developer Ubisoft who made the game, and yeah. which is unfortunate because Ubisoft is not a good thing, not a good company. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to get into games discourse, but anyway, it's fair enough. I, fair I enough. basically, I basically don't know anything about what you're talking about as, you, as far as Ubisoft goes. So, but yeah. we don't anyway, have to get into it right now. That's not the point. Yeah, uh, but they, <laughs> the point was that she they had a uh, some kind of fellowship for writers. I don't remember exactly the details of it, uh, but they gave her access to just all of their catalog like their full ip catalog and they were like pick whatever one you want and she picked werewolves within to, to get that kind of um structure where you can kind of talk about something else because it is just the kind of loose doesn't have much of a narrative story to yes. it it's just kind of figuring out who the werewolf is uh and that that you can kind of put that into put a story into that however you want um which is pretty interesting yeah and i'm sure ubisoft is like are you sure you don't want to do assassin's creed like are you sure <laughs> you sure like, we already tried it once come on yes uh, are you sure you're like come on rayman raving rabbits is coming back i mean yeah. there, there's <laughs> potential for rabbits to be the next minions you know like that's yeah true <laughs> uh, and to their credit they they let her do it i guess <laughs> yeah exactly so werewolves within uh, i really really enjoyed this movie i think it's very funny uh, the horror stuff works pretty well uh milana vangerub incredible in this movie i was like watching this movie and uh she's somebody who i've kind of like been a fan of like she's mostly well known uh for playing lily in the at&t commercials she's yeah. been in those commercials for years now uh, i think she like stopped doing them and then like recently started doing them again so she's like it, like see her in like twitter ads and stuff all the time now but like she was also always pretty good in those commercials but like she's been a comedic actress for a long time she was in a, a tv show called other space uh mm-hmm. which was on yahoo screen uh it's like around the same time community season six was happening Right. Uh, yeah. And so other space only lasted one season because Yahoo screen uh, was destroyed by community. Um, <laughs> but How much do people's cost? Yeah. yeah she, she was in that show. And like she was actually cast to play like Squirrel Girl in like a Marvel right. TV show, like New Warriors or something. And that pilot never made it to air. So there's been like a lot of things where it's like, oh, this Milana Vaynerchuk is a great comedic actress and it's like poised to break out in a big way. And it hasn't really happened. But she is so good and werewolves within and so much fun and funny. Uh, she's great. So yeah, I really enjoyed her in this movie and also Sam Richardson, uh, who I knew from veep for the most part. Uh, but yeah, he is super funny in this movie and also pops up in another movie, uh, which I'll talk about later, uh, that came out this year. Uh, anyway, that is werewolves within also wanted to mention, uh, the two new Disney movies, uh, one of which is a Pixar movie, one of which is a Disney animation movie. The first oh, wait, of which I want to I cut you off real quick before we move away from, uh, werewolves within and Josh Rubin. Have you seen the campaign for him to, uh, reboot dark man? <laughs> I have not seen that, but actually, uh, I think he's pushing for a direct sequel that he would like to direct. Really? OK, yes. uh, I could see it. Uh, I mean, I think he would actually be a pretty good fit if they were going to make a new Darkman movie. Uh, yeah. That could work. I've only ever seen the first Darkman because that's obviously a Sam Raimi joint. Right. Uh, and I know there's like Darkman two and three, which were kind of like direct to video sort of thing. So I've never seen those. Uh, but yeah, if he does like a dark man four uh, and is able to actually like make it work, bring Liam Neeson back. Uh <laughs> Or however it's going to work, uh, you know, you never know. Could could happen. It's so weird that like Liam Neeson was in a superhero movie directed by Sam Raimi in 1990, you know? Right. And nobody does <laughs> talks about it. Uh, yeah, very strange. Like, pe- people don't talk about it, even though it kind of rocks. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I want to bring that up before we move on. Uh, okay, tell me about yeah. Luca. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, Luca is the, the next movie I wanted to talk about, which is the uh, new Pixar movie, which uh, was released direct to Disney Plus uh, in June, which I'm not really a fan of like the way they're kind of doing Pixar movies dirty. It seems like to me uh, where it's like, you know, this and soul were both released direct to Disney plus for free, which on the one hand, I'm happy that they were free so I could watch them easily. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, 
Like, yeah, but like Raya and the Last Dragon got like the theatrical release and like the premiere access. Like, oh, you had to pay thirty dollars to watch Raya. Like, it feels like it's more important or whatever to Disney or whatever. Yeah. And, the Pix- and the Pixar's just like these are like direct to video things now, even though like Pixar's are like some of the most beautiful animated movies ever made. You know, it's like a really odd thing. Uh, but Luca is, I think, a really interesting Pixar movie. I think better than Soul. And I think honestly better than almost anything they've done in the last few years. Uh, I would put it up again, like up with like, I think Inside Out might be the only movie I like more than Luca, maybe Coco. Right. But uh, Luca is the story of these uh, Italian fish people who live underwater. And when they come above water, they turn into human form. Oh, literally fish people. I thought oh, you meant like fishermen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about like like literal like sea monsters. Got it. Uh, okay, so okay. Luca is the story about these like sea monsters and this one kid sea monster who wants to know what life is like above the surface, like a little mermaid situation kind of thing. Right. Uh, and he meets this older kid who's also a fish monster. And he kind of like kind of goes back and forth between the underwater and the surface. And they run away from home and they go live above the surface together. Uh, and it's basically like a Studio Ghibli movie, but just it's a Pixar movie. And uh, wow. it, ha- it has like the kind of vibe of just like, this is like just kids hanging out over the course of a summer. It's a, it's very similar to like a call me by your name situation. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a romance between the two characters, but also they're kind of coded in a way where it seems like there might, it might go in that direction too, okay. uh, which is an interesting thing. And I think the sense of place for the Italian village they create, which is literally called uh, Porto Rosso, which is a reference to Porco Rosso, the Ghibli movie. <laughs> uh, um, Amazing. So, you know, you can tell where they're like drawing inspiration from, uh, but the sense of place and like just the uh, kind of feeling they capture of like kids hanging out in the summertime, uh, you know, trying to win money to like win this big race. So they could raise money to win a Vespa and go see the world uh, kind of thing. Uh, it's just it's nice. It's a very fun movie. The animation is really great. And there's some very funny sequences. So, yeah, Luca. It's on Disney Plus right now, uh, directed by Enrico Casarosa, uh, who I believe is a first time Pixar director. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth uh, checking that out. And also the other uh, animated Disney movie. This is Walt Disney Animation Studios, uh, Riot and the Last Dragon, uh, which was premier access. You had to pay 30 bucks for it, but is now free. Like it's been a few months and now it's uh, free to watch. So I watched it and uh, also pretty good. Um, I have not watched Avatar The Last Airbender, but the sense I got is that it's basically Avatar The Last Airbender. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But yeah, it it is about, uh, you know, this girl Raya who lives in the kind of this like fantasy realm that's inspired by Asian culture. Kelly Marie Tran playing uh, Raya in the lead role, which is pretty cool. And uh, a ton of great like Asian actors kind of taking up the entire cast of this movie. Donnie Yen is in this thing. Uh, Aquafina plays the dragon and uh, Benedict Wong pops up in this movie, too. So uh, a lot of good people throughout. Michelle Yeoh, I think, is also in this. Gemma Chan. And but anyway, there's these like horrible shadow creatures that get unleashed and start turning people into stone and Raya has to uh, go find the last dragon in order to reverse the curse kind of thing. Uh, And I think how far this movie goes is part of the interesting thing about it, because the stories of legends about the dragons and all these kind of things. And then the shadow creatures get unleashed and then it cuts to like five years later. And it's like a Mad Max style post-apocalypse scenario. Uh, And it's like the last hope for humanity is riding on Raya, finding this last dragon. Uh, And so the intensity and like the action sequences, especially are really well directed and stuff. And so, yeah, Raya, the last dragon, it is a uh, it's a good time. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah, those are both movies uh, I obviously heard a lot about and I kind of wanted to watch them eventually. You know, I don't don't feel a a distinct pull to like, I have to get out and watch these movies right now Uh, for animation in general is where I was going with that. Uh, which is kind of, it's pretty unfortunate, I guess. You know, that's the thing I got to work on. Uh, but yeah, I haven't gotten around to it. So uh, one day, you know. All right, fair enough. But yeah, those are both uh, streaming on Disney Plus right now if anybody wants to check those out. Uh, or you can do what Mike Decretio will probably do if he ever watches them and uh, pirate them, whatever you want to do. 
Yeah, as we, I mentioned the last episode, it's morally correct to steal from Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be our new hashtag, Mike. That's going to be our first merch T-shirt. <laughs> Mike, Mike is morally to correct to steal from Disney. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the the back and the front. will say it's morally correct to steal from Disney. <laughs> I like it. Okay, once let's get the Patreon going so we can uh, <laughs> so we can put that together. But all right, Mike D, what have you been watching recently? Um, I'll start with the standalone thing because uh, that'll be a little bit quicker. Uh, sure. And that is a Blu-ray I bought. I bought it on Vinegar Syndrome. I think they're distributing it because it's a AGFA release, the uh, American Genre Film Archive, and also somebody else, I forget who, Bleeding Skull? Does that sound like a thing? It does sound like a thing, yes. It sounds like a thing. I don't remember exactly who it is. Uh, but this is a Blu-ray called The McPherson Tape, and this is billed on the Blu-ray as like the first ever found footage horror movie, which, I mean, it's from like 1989, I think, so kind of depending on how you define found footage, you know, you think yeah. like maybe cannibal Holocaust might be kind of thing, uh, that era. Uh, but this is like the kind of what you think of, you know, Blair Witch Project. It is a guy holding a camera recording a thing that is happening to him as this weird experience happens, which is weird for me. You know, I don't typically like these kind of things. I don't really like found footage in general. Um, but there's something about the, the story behind this, this Blu-ray in particular. So it's called the McPherson tape. The actual movie I think is called UFO invasion. Uh, or something like that. Like it's a pretty, like it, you know, it tells you what's going to happen, right? Um, yeah. But uh, in the in the liner, you know, in the the back of the Blu-ray, it explains that the distributor for the movie had a fire at the warehouse, so the movie was never officially like it was destroyed. Uh, so it was never officially distributed or released, except for there were a couple VHS copies because it's from 1990, 1989, or whatever, and it's shot on video on home cam on home video. So then it got circulated like underground as if it was a actual home video of a UFO invasion, like, cause there was no longer released as a movie. It was just circulated as the McPherson tape. And the movie even starts with like a pretty funny, uh, I, and I don't know if this is like a added for the Blu-ray Blu release, like a warning thing and, and an explanation about this is a recovered footage that was uh, only obtained through the freedom of freedom of information act and like all this stuff. And it's a secret government tape kind of thing. Uh, and it's just it's an hour long. So that, too, it's, you know, 62 minutes or something like that. And it's just this uh, guy recording his niece's birthday party, weird flashing lights outside the house. And they live in rural uh, Pennsylvania. I think they mentioned where they are. Weird flashing lights out in the woods and the brothers go out to investigate. You know, the, the dad and uncle go out to investigate. And it's just like a gr gray man, like, you know, the tall, uh, tall gray man. Uh, alien guys come walking out of a little spaceship and they're like, oh, shit, oh, shit. And they run back to the house. And then it's just, you know, the tension of what's outside, what's in the window. What was that light? The lights go out. What's happening? We can't. The phones are dead. You know, that kind of stuff. But it's really interesting because it is just 62 minutes amateur, home, literally shot on video. And it looks like that. And uh, the performances are all really uh, genuine and and interesting. Like I don't like the, it's this child who I forget. Oh, I think it's her fifth birthday or something in the movie, and like she's crushing it, and Grandma's crushing it. Like everybody's doing, you know, feeling like what I would feel like would be normal responses is like panic. People start to panic, and you have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was cool. So yeah, that's the McPherson tape. I don't think it's like particularly scary. There's a couple moments, you know, with the, they they kind of use the found footage techniques of like you know. Pointing at the camera, po pointing at the ground, rather, and then loud noise, you know, or like we're looking in the wrong spot because the guy's the guy, cameraman's looking in the wrong spot. And, but it's it's cool to think about it in like a like it, it almost feels derivative. But then you remember that it's from 1989. So it's like right. it's kind of creating these things. Um, so it's cool from that aspect, you know, it's sort of like a film artifact situation uh, for the McPherson tape. So Colin and I watched that uh, a couple weeks ago at his apartment at like. 
1230 in the morning or something after watching uh, six movies I had already seen. So I'm not going to mention them. And then we ended <laughs> with, uh, with the McPherson tape. Uh, so, you know, it's a cool, a cool little hour long uh, curio there. It's for sale on uh, Vinegar Syndrome's website. So nice. check out the McPherson tape if you're interested. The McPherson tape. All right. Uh, I was also just thinking about how hard Disney would slam us with a lawsuit if we started selling, if we started selling t-shirts <laughs> that said it is morally correct to steal from Disney. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, Mike, I'm glad. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll keep that in mind just in case. Uh, but anyway, uh, all right, I got a few more movies to uh, throw in the mix here. The first of which is the new movie directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Ed Solomon, uh, who co-wrote the Bill and Ted movies. Uh, and nice. that is No Sudden Move. You said a man wants to see me. Alley Outback. Can't come in. What is he, white? Oh, boy. So what's the score? We're sending a man that works in an office to pick something up. You are part of a babysitting team watching his family while he does it. Good morning. Everything is normal, except... What do you want? Is that something you'd say? Normal Monday? I'm gonna shoot you right now. Can I go home now? Wait at the house after. What do you mean after? Right off of your feet. What is going on? What's going on, big guy? Yeah, what are we doing? We're following instructions. Are you helping me or are you not helping me? No, 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 no. no, no. Thank you. Set up, man. God called me, offering me $10,000 to turn you in. 15 for the white guy. Think you're the only one that can make a move? I can make a move, too. I have the keys. Like listen to the radio, uh, which is available on HBO Max. And Mike, you should watch this movie immediately. I think you would love it. I yes, 100 percent agree. Everything I've seen about it. Uh, Ed Solomon was also on the movies that made me Joe Dante's podcast recently. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, God, what am I doing? Why am I not watching this right now? And then I completely <laughs> forgot about it. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yes, this is a very cool heist crime thriller uh, with an incredible cast. Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, uh, David Harbour's in this. Amy Simetz uh, plays David Harbour's wife. Brendan fucking Frazier is, Fuck, uh, yeah. is in No Sudden Move, which is, you know, my reaction after the movie is like, Brendan Frazier. Welcome back. Like, I was just so excited to <laughs> see Frazier Brendan Fraser in a movie, you know? Yeah. Isn't uh, Bill Duke also in it or something? Yeah. Bill Duke is in it very briefly. Yes. Yeah. Bill yeah. Duke is there. And there are a bunch of other. Kieran Culkin is also in there. Igby himself. Igby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's seen better days. He, I've seen better days. <laughs> bringing recurring jokes from the other podcast. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> That's the Mike and Mike guarantee. We will reference a thing that is not from this show. We're like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. To really understand the full story, you got to listen to both podcasts. <laughs> you got to watch the Disney Plus show. We immediately sold out. <laughs> That'll be the other T-shirt. We immediately sold out. You got to watch the Disney Plus show. <laughs> but this is a very cool kind of hard-boiled crime thriller. It takes place in 1950s Detroit. Don Cheadle is this guy who just got out of jail, and he gets roped into this big job. And he's not really sure what the job is going to be. But it starts with a home invasion with him and Benicio Toro kind of holding up David Harbour's family. They get kind of roped into this larger conspiracy 
surrounding the auto industry and catalytic converters and the invention of those. Uh, and it's like very the similar. Other guys? <laughs> or the, the nice guys? guys? Yes, it's very similar to what happens in the nice guys. And uh, honestly, I think these two movies would make a great double feature. Uh, like the nice guys is more overtly comedic than uh, no sudden move is, but no sudden move is also like pretty funny in moments too. Uh, so yeah, this is just a really good, like fun crime thriller. Uh, Steven. So like, I think this is my favorite Soderbergh movie in a couple of years. Uh, and I'm a fan of Soderbergh and I've, been kind of into his you know recent phase of like let's shoot everything on an iphone and see what happens yeah Uh, yeah, yeah. and that has resulted in some some good movies i think i really like uh high flying bird i really like unsane uh i thought was very cool uh but then there was also movies like the laundromat uh i was not a fan of that movie uh let them all talk i thought was okay but uh this one no sudden move i think is probably my favorite since logan lucky uh which was the last like i think that was the last movie he made in like a full-on studio budget kind of deal everyone he retired yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, he retired for like two years. And in, in in his retirement, he also directed every episode of a TV show, <laughs> uh, wrote a novel that he released through Twitter. <laughs> like, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Re-edited a bunch of movies. He like did his own edit of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Black and White and all that kind right. of stuff. It's yeah, he 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 was busy during his retirement, uh, <laughs> at least. Uh, but of course, he's back and still back to making it like, you know, 10 movies a year. And uh, this is his movie this year. I, I don't know if he has anything else coming out this year, actually. So this might be the only one for 2021. Uh, but yeah, No Sudden Move. It's on HBO Max right now. It's a really fun crime thriller. Incredible cast. Great direction. Looks great. Uh, it's just really good. So No Sudden Move. I'm throwing it out there. Yeah, I might watch this uh, depending on how late we record. <laughs> I might watch this tonight. <laughs> if you have two hours to spare, you should definitely do it because it is really excellent. Uh, also want to mention a, a new documentary which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival this past year. Uh, and I was hearing about it then and I was interested in it because it was directed by Rodney Asher, who was the director of uh, Room 237. Uh, which that was the documentary about The Shining and all the kind of various conspiracy theories people have about different interpretations of The Shining and all that kind of stuff. And I was expecting something similar for a different movie when I heard the title of this movie. And there is elements of that in this. But uh, this movie is called A Glitch in the Matrix. And so, of course, I like because of The Shining movie, I was like, oh, this is like a Matrix movie where he's going to talk about all the different interpretations of the matrix and how like people kind of impose a trans narrative onto it and all that kind of stuff. Like that was sort of what I was expecting. Uh, And then I actually heard what the movie was about and I was like, okay, that also makes sense. Um, (laughs) But uh, a glitch in the matrix is not about the movie, the matrix, although it does come up in this movie. Uh, It's about the idea of simulation theory uh, and Uh whether, whether the world we're living in is actually a simulation or not, which of course is also the plot of the movie the matrix uh and how that that theory was like popularized in like larger mainstream culture by the matrix uh and how that theory has impacted pop culture and impacted the world uh over the course of the last like 30 years uh and it's a pretty fascinating documentary uh i'm not sure it like swayed me one way or the other whether it's like to me it's just like an interesting thing to think about um but not necessarily something i want to like you know go full in on because that seems crazy uh, but I did really enjoy the uh, the experience of watching it. And uh, it goes into some really dark places at times. I mean, there's there's the way it kind of does it is like it talks to all these like various talking head interviews. Right. And uh, they're all they have like this like weird design for each of them, like all their faces and voices are obscured um, okay. when, they're t- when they're talking to the camera. And each one is like this like weird creature, like one's like a giant eagle or whatever. And it's <laughs> like that yeah. just talking to the camera. 
uh, which gives it like a kind of like a fun quality to it. And there's like some funny moments throughout. Uh, and then it takes like a really dark turn towards the end of the movie where it turns out one of the guys that you were talking to uh, is a guy who was uh, arrested for murdering his parents after he uh, was obsessed with the movie The Matrix and got like really into the idea of simulation theory and thought like none of this actually matters and all that stuff. And so it, it takes uh, some pretty dark turns toward the end there, uh, which wow. I was not expecting. And it was like kind of a, a huge gut punch when it does happen. Uh, so yeah, be aware of that before you watch the movie, but, uh, a glitch in the matrix, I think is a, is a really interesting documentary. Uh, I don't think it's quite as good as room 237. I think that's like just a, a really fun, uh, look at the shining and, and sort of a celebration of all the like insane conspiracies that kind of go along with it. Uh, and a glitch in the matrix, um, I think is a little bit uneven, but I think it does ultimately fulfill, like, it doesn't like come down with an answer one way or the other, but it is just like presenting the idea sort of. Okay. That's pretty cool. I know that there was a, uh, a subreddit that was called glitch in the matrix. That was all stories and stuff of people experiencing, you know, one day suddenly there was a door. I don't ever remember being in my house, you know, and yes. shit like that. Uh, so that's, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if any of that is in the movie. Yes. Uh, and there is a lot of that in the movie too. There's like the, uh, the Mandela effect. you know, something you remember something differently than it actually happened. And, you know, you're questioning the reality and all that stuff, which I think happens to everybody at some point. Like I remember there was one day I was like walking through my house when I was like, 10 or 11 years old. And I was like, Hey, when did we get that painting? Uh, <laughs> like this, like painting that's hanging over the couch. Uh, and like this painting of like some flowers. And my mom's like, we've always had that painting. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I think I chalked that up to me being like a dumb kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like, what if it wasn't ever there? Who knows? Like it, yeah. what if the simulation changed? Uh, <laughs> all that exactly. kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, so glitch in the matrix is available on Hulu right now. Uh, if anybody wants to check it out there. Uh, and then also wanted to, uh, really highly recommend a, a new documentary slash concert film called summer of soul, or how the revolution could not be televised. And this is directed by Questlove of The Roots. And uh, this is a documentary about the uh, Harlem Cultural Festival, uh, which took place in 1969, same summer as Woodstock. Uh, and I had no idea that this happened. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> which is it. one of those things like th- this. You watch this documentary, thousands and thousands of people are descending upon Harlem. And this this wasn't just like a three day festival. This was for like six weeks. Like wow. six straight weeks, they would have like these concerts happening in Harlem uh, with all these incredible artists, Gladys Knight and the Pips and Stevie Wonder and all those all these incredible names. And all that footage was just like lost to the sands of time. Uh, basically, like uh, wow. for, according to the documentary, uh, which I think is only partially true, but they d- they did film everything. They filmed the entire all the concerts and everything like that. And they wanted to shop it around as a movie like they did with Woodstock. Like they did mm-hmm. with the Woodstock documentary, which became like an iconic piece of like late 60s culture. Uh, and Summer of Soul could have done that like for the black community, theoretically, like in that time. And instead, nobody wanted to sell it like they like no studio was like, we can't market this because it's all black artists or whatever. Right. Uh, and so according to the documentary, all this footage just like sat in a guy's basement for 50 years uh, <laughs> until it was like recently rediscovered. And uh, Questlove kind of made it his passion project to put it all together and assemble it. And so it's part concert film, uh, but also kind of part historical document about the festival, what it represented, its place in history. Like this was happening in 1969, the same summer as the moon landing was happening. And you can see like the actual resentment of the moon landing for a lot of people who are at the festival. Like, you know, these uh, kind of people living in poor neighborhoods who are kind of considering like, well, like why, why is all this money being spent, you know, trying to send somebody to the moon when there are so many problems down here and all that kind of stuff, like people who are living in poverty and, all, all that sort of thing, right? With you know, something that we've uh, outgrown as a society. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, irrelevant conversation never has to happen again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so Summer of Soul uh, really kind of dives into that and uh, some people kind of reflecting back on it. Limuel Miranda shows up for some reason. Uh, he's Whoa. in there. Uh, I mean, he, he lives in Washington Heights, sort of like in the like New York vicinity. But I think his dad, his dad is along there with him. And I think his dad is like more involved with like he has the bigger connection to the uh-huh. festival. Uh, I think Limuel's there because it's like, hey, Limuel's here. Why not have him pop up? But yeah, it is a really uh, great documentary and the performances are just incredible to watch. Like, and I watched this uh, at the Roxy Theater, which is the inner theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. And I think it's it's one of the best concert going experience, movie going experiences slash concert going experiences <laughs> that I've had uh, in a while. So uh, yeah, Summer of Soul or How the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, uh, directed by Questlove. And it's uh, in theaters. It's also on Hulu right now. It got a theatrical release and Hulu at the same time kind of thing. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, I saw it was playing uh, when I went to see Pig uh, at the Alba Draft House, which was my first movie back in theaters, which happened since the last episode, I think. But they were also playing Summer of Soul there, is where I was going with that. Uh, And I was like, I wish I could come back for that, but I didn't have time. Yeah, fair enough. I also saw the Alamo is uh, is now playing Bo Burnham inside. They're throwing, they're doing Whoa. that. For, yeah, they're doing that for like a week or two, which is uh, that's pretty wild. That's a, <laughs> an unexpected release, but pretty cool. Uh, all right, so yeah, that is Summer of Soul available on Hulu right now. Mike, what else you been watching? Um, should I do all of them at once, or we gonna, should I do them individually? How much should I pad out? Uh, uh, I think you can do them all at once. Uh, okay. I think I think it'd be weird if you were like, okay, here's the first one, and then like I do three movies, and you're like, okay, here's the second one, and then I do three <laughs> movies. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So the thing we're talking about, of course, is the uh, Fear Street trilogy, which dropped on Netflix uh, over the last month uh, or three weeks, I guess. Yes. Um, Yeah. These are based on the R.L. Stein young adult horror books that he wrote, I think I think started before Goosebumps. I was looking into it because I definitely read one of these, one of the Fear Street novels. But it's the same thing with Goosebumps where there's like 35 of them and uh, <laughs> there's like sub series within them and stuff. So I don't, I don't remember which one I read, but anyway, yeah. So it's, you know, it's a little more the books from what I've been gathering from stuff, uh, podcasts and everything is that their books are a little, little harder than the Goosebumps, which are like specifically for elementary school, middle school aged kids. Fear Street is for like high school, you know, more squarely teenagers. So they're a little more middle to high school kids kind of thing. Yeah, a little edgier than the Goosebumps books. And these movies are based on those loosely, I think, just kind of inspired by the location and some of the witchy stuff that happens. I don't think it's like a straight adaptation of like a specific book or anything. Uh, but they're a hard R, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah. And you don't quite realize it. And the first one, you know, is set in 1994. Uh, and this is my favorite thing. It's 1994. The second one is 78. And then the third one is 1666. So you kind of get three subgenres of horror uh, throughout them. You know, you kind of get like your scream. I know what you did last summer, 90s, edgy kind of thing. And then you get your, you know, Friday the 13th, <laughs> summer camp yes. slasher. And then you get your uh, folk horror witch thing uh, for the third one. And I think it's really interesting and, and, and they're a lot of fun, um, like watching this kind of story unfold across these three timelines and the three different styles. Each one kind of feels like that type of movie, which is cool. Like the first one, 1994 opens, you know, with the, the scream homage with Maya Hawk working at the mall. And then she doesn't make it more than five minutes, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> right. which is cool. And like so violent. I was not I was not prepared because I was expecting a kind of PG-13 horror where like, you know, you're going to hear the knife. Somebody gets stabbed but you're not really going to see any blood and there's not really going to be it's going to kind of be watered down a little bit to be like the R.L. Stein stuff, you know, but I actually listened to uh, the director Lee Janiak, I think is her name, right. um, who directed all three of them. 
Yes. Directed all three of them was just on Mick, Mick Garris's podcast, Postmortem. And she was talking about, you know, people who might have been in high school or, or middle school when those books started coming out in the early 90s would be adults now, obviously, like she is. And also when you're reading those books at 14, 15, they feel like really transgressive and and subversive and violent and dirty. Uh, so she wanted to capture that, even if the content of the books isn't exactly that level. She wanted it to feel the same. Uh, so they went with the hard R. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, not really hard R, but for violence, rather hard R. Um, right. Particularly gory. There's one thing that I think you said is the, at least the best kill of the year. I remember in your tweet involving a bread slicer. Yes, uh, that's in the first one. Yeah, in the first one. Wild. Um, <laughs> it was not prepared at all. And I think the kind of overall conspiracy and construction of the, of the story throughout the three movies is really fun and engaging. There's lots of really cool connections, whether it's like, you know, stuff being framed and shot the same way uh, so that it's like, oh, my God, it's that th-. like, you know, you start to draw the connections in your mind or whether it's like there's a really fun thing I liked between 1978 and 1994, where Sweet Jane plays over the love scene. But in the 94 one, it's like whatever new cover version was in 1994. And in 1978, it's the original version. You're like, oh, that's fun. That's cool. I like that. Um, Which version did they play in 1666? Ah, man, it's somehow still Lou Reed because he's immortal. Uh, No. Um, (laughs) They should have had like somebody playing like a mandolin or something. Yeah, right. The same version. (laughs) Uh, That would be amazing. Uh, Yeah, so there's a lot of fun connections. And I think the the kind of me and my friends watched a few of them. I watched the two of them with Colin. There's a lot of fun moments where you're like, oh, my God, wait, is that the guy from the thing that they talked about in the last movie? Like, you know, stuff starts to fall into place. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that. And I really enjoyed the week to week release model of, uh, of, of, you know, the TV show, quote unquote, movie. And yeah, I think if I'm remembering correctly from the postmortem episode, they that was planned. Well, not that that was planned, but to do three movies, they filmed them all straight in a row, uh, like 100 something days. And that was planned before Netflix specifically got involved. So it was like they were planning to do something along these lines somewhere, uh, which is pretty cool. Right. And they knew it was going to be a streaming thing, you know, first and foremost. Because there's yeah. no way you could do that in theaters where it's like, like you couldn't do that. Like if it was just coming out oh, in theaters, yeah. you need every movie would need like a little bit of room to breathe before the next one came out. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I don't, I don't remember if, she, if there was a specific. I forget exactly what it was, the situation. But, yeah, they, they were like new where it's going to be three movies. They filmed them all in a row, which is wild. So it's cool that they got to do this with Netflix, you know, to do uh, one one every week and build the story out that way. And it did feel kind of like. You know, you, you talk about like <laughs> with the Disney Plus stuff where it's like, oh, you know, the event, like, you know, you got to be ready that nine o'clock yeah. tomorrow tomorrow morning. You got to be ready to watch the next thing. And I sort of felt that with these a little bit, even though, you know, they're kind of okay. dumb ex- horror movies. But uh, yeah, it was fun, fun times with Fear Street. And you said you've only watched the first two, right? I've watched the first two. We've been meaning to watch the third one, but uh, we should, like genuinely haven't had the time to do it. Uh, yeah. It's been a busy couple of weeks. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to watch part three, 1666, pretty soon. But I did enjoy the first two, the first one especially. I thought the second one uh, dragged a little bit for me. Um, but I did enjoy, weirdly, I enjoyed like all the framing stuff surrounding the uh, <laughs> the 70s stuff. Yeah. Because uh, there is like, uh, you know, there's stuff happening in the, I was going to say present day, but it's like happening in the 90s, which I guess is this movie's version of present day or whatever. Yeah. There's Uh, a main plot basically. Yeah. That kind of follows through all three movies. And so I assume there's more of that in the third one as well. Uh, even though the bulk of it will probably be 1666, but yeah, I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. I thought it was a very fun, you know, riff on the scream genre. I really, I mean, I recognized Maya Hawk pretty quickly. 
Uh, like I, I or sorry, I didn't recognize her quite at first, but I was like, is that my, like, I was like in my, the back of my mind, I was like, is that Maya Hawk? Cause it's been like a while since I watched Stranger Things. So I'm like, just yeah. trying to think, <laughs> think about it. Um, but like the entire time I was like, this actress is really good. Is this Maya Hawk? Like I was like, she was really good in that like one scene that she's in. And I was just thinking to myself, like she is incredible and like out acting everyone else in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a, there was a little bit, uh, if it I can't remember the timing of it, whether it was the Tarantino thing where he was like, well, if I ever make a part three with the, of, kill bill like the bride's daughter has got to be maya hawk right so like yes. she was kind of like in the the film twitter zeitgeist right away and then i think 94 came out so i was like eh. i can't remember the exact timing of that but she had a little resurgence is what i'm saying yeah i i feel like she could like break out in a big way in a couple of years uh yeah I mean, I she, so. she was like easily the best part of stranger things season three whenever that was like eight, eight years ago or <laughs> yeah. it, was, it feels like it was so long ago it was like 2018 or something but i know they're filming season four i assume she's still part of it so uh yeah we'll get more maya hawk then but anyway yeah, the Fear Street movies, I've uh, enjoyed the first two and like I'm invested enough where even if like part two didn't work as much for me, I still got to see how it ends now. I got, I'm like I'm yeah. two thirds of the way through. I got to watch part three. Yeah, that's the thing that the, the kind of thread that runs between all the movies and kind of uncovering the mystery of what happened in 1666 to make 1994 be the way it is kind of thing uh, is, is a really fun ride. And, and there's lots of good twists and turns and stuff. And there's a moment in like towards the middle ish, a little past the middle uh, of uh, of. <laughs> Of 1666 where like a title card popped up and me and my friends were all like what like we <laughs> like we lost our minds uh the delayed and then, title sequence no it's not for it's not the delayed title sequence of 66 oh, geez. but okay but like something else happened and we were like what and then we realized what was going on and we were like oh okay Ooh, all right never mind <laughs> which is pretty fun i want to you know when you get to watch it i want to talk about it because it, it's it was a funny moment for at least for nice. us where we were like what like mind's blown um okay yeah and then yeah it's fun i'm glad I, I hope this kind of thing gets to happen a little bit more often like this kind of you know sort of for teenagers but adults version of that and then lee janiac talked about that like you know it's on netflix so like you know any 15 year old is gonna hit play <laughs> you teens know? are like, gonna watch it yeah, this yeah is teens like, are gonna watch it what's the that, that's sort of an interesting thing because it's an r-rated movie that is actually like squarely aimed at teenagers, but it's not like dealing with theatrical restrictions where like in theaters, you got to be with your parents in order to go see an R-rated movie until you're 17, uh, unless right. you're sneaking into the movie somehow, which is what I did like from ages 15 through 16, which is yeah. bad for the movie because then they're not making any money, uh, yeah. you know, or I, I would always like buy tickets to like uh, a different movie that was rated like PG, PG 13 or whatever, and then sneak into the R-rated movie. Uh, and I would try to make it a movie that I like I liked. So I was like at least supporting a movie that I enjoyed. <laughs> Yeah, but I always like the, felt bad. I always felt bad that like, oh, the movie that I'm like going to see, I'm not actually like supporting this movie that like, I, you know, I wanted to go see. I think uh, I snuck into a hot tub time machine and uh, I ended up buying a ticket to like How to Train Your Dragon and sneaking in or something like that. So it's like, oh, at least I'm supporting a good movie because uh, I was like between that and Alice in Wonderland. I was like, I don't want to give that movie any more money. So I got yeah. <laughs> to go see Hot Tub Time Machine, though. So what can I do? Yeah, we definitely used to wait outside the theater and be like, hey, could you buy us a ticket? You know, like whatever movie yeah. you go to, like tell you my uncle or whatever, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, so at least we did that, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Always, what, uh, my strategy was always like because uh, the way the position of like the person at my theater was like the ticket taker, um, mm -hmm. it was like right by the bathroom. So I would like kind of angle it where like it looked like I was walking towards the bathroom and I would kind of go towards the bathroom for a bit, kind of peek my head out, see that I was looking the other way. And then like, if I just walked straight past him, he would just think I was some guy who left to go to the bathroom and then went back in. Right. You know, it was a, I had a, I had a whole strategy, Mike. You had a plan. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the, the kids point today, is, 
the kids today, they have it too easy. They get Fear Street movies delivered straight to them via Netflix. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah, the point is that she knows and they kind of, you know, we're aware of the fact that anybody's going to be able to watch this on Netflix. So let's kind of walk that line. Let's have the moments where, you know, we're having all the the fun teen drama stuff with the the relationships and all that and the, the love interest stuff. But then also let's feed somebody through a bread slicer <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. go pretty hard on the, the practical gore for some of it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, my only one complaint though, especially in 94 is, or one of my big complaints or whatever, the, the one I want to mention is just constant needle drops. Like to the point where some of them are needle drops into needle drops. Yes. And it's like, stop. What is happening? Like, especially like, the moment we get it. It's 94. We, we, we have also heard music from 1994 before. <laughs> yeah. There's the one moment where Dina, I think the main character gets on the ba- the bus, like, you know, to, with the band and she's got uh, and it's playing insane in the membrane, I think. And she's yeah. walking on the bus and st- insane in the membrane still playing. And she sits down on the seat, takes headphones out and puts them on. And then it needle drops another song while the other song is still like, it goes straight into it, straight into creep. <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? Take a yes. breather, please. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was like the, the, the one thing that was pretty distracting. It happens a little bit in 78, uh, which I guess maybe I was more forgiving cause it's more music. I like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's just all classic rock summer, summer jams, uh, from 78. So that was fun. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely one, the one thing that I really noticed was like, OK, yeah, <laughs> I assume it, I assume it happens less in 1666. Yeah, no, it's just all bard core. Like you said, it's just all f- <laughs> <laughs> medieval covers of modern rock songs. Beautiful. That would be amazing. That would be incredible, actually. Uh, but all right. So that is the, the Fear Street trilogy, which is out on Netflix right now. The entire thing. Uh, and that's pretty much all Mike had to talk about today. Right, Mike? Yeah, that's all the things. Yeah, I have, didn't have a ton of time. And like I said, uh, I rewatched about six movies at Colin's house and then watched McPherson tapes. So I was like, I'm not going to talk about all those. <laughs> all right. I've seen Jaws. We've talked about Jaws so many times. Yes. And while it's great to talk about Jaws, we should talk about some of the other stuff. Uh, and I have a few more movies I did want to get through. The first of which is actually one that Mike also watched, and that is uh, The Tomorrow War, directed by Chris McKay, starring Chris Pratt, which is uh, available on Amazon Prime right now. And uh, this is a futuristic sci-fi blockbuster, basically in the present day. Time travelers come back from the future to tell people that there's a war happening in the future and they need to draft people to go into the tomorrow war. It is embarrassing how much I like this movie. Um, (laughs) I don't like this movie so much. I forgot that I had watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I know you weren't a fan of this, Mike. And uh, yeah, why don't you talk about your your thoughts on tomorrow war and then I'll go into mine. It's just so dumb. That's it. It's the stupidest movie. Um, it's so convoluted. Why do they need to have the people be dead to send them to the future? Why not just come back and mass? Pre- so they, they get the toxin. We're going to spoil it. They get the to- they solve the toxin right in the first half of the movie. The first t- the first two acts, right? They solve the toxin right. puzzle. They're going to the thing that can kill all the aliens. And uh, he comes back to the Chris Pratt's character comes back to the present day. Nobody gives a shit like what? Like you did it. We solved the thing. <laughs> Mass produce the toxin. The movie is over. Roll credits. And no, there's another half hour. And it's like, ah, oh, stop. <laughs> just it's the same. They just take a breather, man. You know, <laughs> like with the stop with the needle drops. Stop. Oh, the tomorrow war doesn't have that. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. I just was just fed up with this movie so quickly. Uh, And it's just every decision's bad, basically. Uh, I have the complete opposite reaction. I was expecting to have that reaction for the Tomorrow (laughs) War. Like based on what I was seeing online, I was like, okay, it seems pretty dumb. Seems like, you know, I thought the premise was kind of cool. 
uh, but seems kind of dumb. So whatever. And then I ended up having a day like the weekend it came out uh, where, you know, I was able to just kind of hang out at the house and chill. And I was kind of on my own. So I was like, hey, I'll I'll throw on the Tomorrow War. Let's see how this is. And uh, I was like hooked from very early on in the movie and was just in it. I, I It really reminded me of those. It is dumb. It's there's no question that this is a dumb movie. Uh, but it is dumb in the way that like a lot of the big bombastic blockbusters of the 90s were dumb. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's a kind of dumb that I can really get behind as far as movies go. Like it reminded me a lot of like Independence Day and that kind of thing. Yeah, I really enjoyed Chris Pratt in the lead. You know, I, I think this kind of plays against his strengths a little bit as an actor, because I think he's somebody who is better when he's goofier. And I think this movie does have moments where he's a little bit goofier. And honestly, those feel like a little bit like added on in post or whatever. Like whenever it goes into like a, a goofy, like improv moment, it, it almost feels like jarring from the rest of the movie, like, yeah. uh, which is odd. But uh, I think Chris Pratt is like solid enough in the lead role. I think uh, the ensemble cast around him is really fun. I think Sam Richardson, who I mentioned before uh, in Werewolves Within, also incredible in Tomorrow War. He is just he's so much fun as like kind of the sidekick, almost like Jeff Goldblum character. Uh, yeah. Like the moment where they like show up in the future and the aliens are hunting them and they're in the stairwell and uh, Sam Richardson like looks up and like starts shooting the alien and the alien starts chasing him and he just goes shit. And he's just shouting the word shit over and over again for like a full minute as he's running down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, terrific. So good. Uh, and I the action was fairly well directed. I thought the uh, the concepts were really fun. Uh, this is directed by Chris McKay, who also directed the Lego Batman movie. Uh, this is his first live action uh, feature. Wow. Um, but uh, and so a lot of the like set pieces kind of reminded me of animation in some way, just in the ways that they moved and stuff. Uh, and I think the concept of just like Chris Pratt, like teaming up with his daughter in the future was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun, dumb concept uh, that was executed. Well, J.K. Simmons also in this movie and he's great. He's like the grizzled old man who who's Chris Pratt's dad, uh, which is fun. Yeah, I'm excited for J.K. Simmons to make that turn <laughs> in his <laughs> career. You know, yeah. <laughs> you've earned your chance to be the surprisingly gruff. Yes, old man. He's, After the, being uh, the, he's the Scott Glenn in Vertical Limits of, uh, uh, of yeah, this movie. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's fun. That, that is that part is fun. Just anytime he's there is good times. But then, like, they just blow the aliens up in the end. It's like, then why did we do the whole movie where we get the toxin up until now and then we don't use it? Well, they didn't know the aliens were there in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> no, but I mean, when the when they come back in the back half of the movie, they go there to administer the toxins. But then that doesn't matter because they just blow the ship up. So they could have just blown the ship up anyway and not had the toxin plot. You know, <laughs> which should be talking about <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when they go to the aliens at the end, right? After they have yeah. figured out where they are in the, right, fr- but they the didn't, future, but fast. they didn't know where that that was like. They didn't know that those aliens were there at the beginning. Like that's the whole thing was that those aliens because they thought the aliens came from outer space. They didn't realize they were like buried on Earth for, you know, hundreds, yeah. possibly thousands of years. Uh, I mean, Chris so, Pratt at the end, they go there with the toxin yeah. and there's too many of them. So they just blow the ship up. And it works, which means they didn't need the toxin plot because they could have just figured out where it was and blown the ship up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm glad Uh, you like the movie. That that (laughs) isn't incorrect. (laughs) But I feel like the toxin does come into play with the last alien or something. Uh, Um, Yeah, that's how they kill the queen, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's still there for the queen. I think they needed to kill the queen. That's the main thing. That's Uh, the point. Yeah. But anyway, the Tomorrow War, I thought it was fun. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It's better than Mike's giving it credit for. (laughs) At least it was free. You know, it it is also free, which is kind of a plus. I mean, to be fair, it seems like the majority opinion is more heavily backing your uh, your take. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I am easily the person that liked the Tomorrow War the most at all the people that I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe on Earth, honestly. Maybe on Earth. I thought it was very fun. Uh, I think years from now, we're going to look back on the Tomorrow War and be like, you know what? That wasn't so bad. Uh, you know, it was the speed racer of 2021. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, so that's on Amazon Prime right now. Worth checking out. Uh, also wanted to mention a new movie called Zola. Hey, last month I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five Gs a night. Because of my we just met yesterday and you already trying to take hoe trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? That's my place. So bad. Dear Heavenly Father, we are asking you a special prayer today. We asking you to send us niggas. Send us niggas with culture. Send us niggas with good credit. What brings y'all here? We making sh money. Money, titties, money, titties. From here on out, watch every move this bitch makes. Which is uh, directed by Janissa Bravo uh, and starring uh, Taylor Page and Riley Keough. And uh, this is a movie that is based on the viral series of tweets, uh, which I don't yes. think is a sentence that has ever been said before this movie came out. Yeah, inspired by the tweets. Yes, inspired by the tweets, which is, of course, the uh, kind of famous Internet story, uh, like a 140 long tweet thread that starts with the now famous phrase. Y'all want to know how me and this bitch here fell out. It's kind of long with full suspense. Yep. That is the le- that's the opening of this movie. And it tells you like the full story of the tweet thread. Uh, which I will be honest, I have not read. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've seen the first tweet a lot. Like I've seen that first tweet. Like it's it's an iconic internet image now, but I have not read the entire Zola story. Uh, so most of this was pretty fresh for me. Uh, and I thought the movie was pretty solid. It's good. Uh, it's about these uh, two girls who meet each other pretty quick. They're both strippers. Like the day after they meet, one of them invites the other on this like kind of cross country trip uh, to go stripping, make some money and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, things start to take like a darker, more sinister turn as she kind of meets her boyfriend and her pimp and all this kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't say I really enjoy this movie. But I think it's very, very solid. I think there's some very good dark humor throughout. And I think it's an extraordinarily well-made movie. Uh, like this is probably the best looking movie I've seen in 2021. Like as far as cinematography goes and just the actual right. like design of it, production design and everything. Like, I think this movie looks incredible. I think it sounds incredible. They use a lot of like internet sounds to make it like, you know, kind of make you feel like you are living inside the internet, uh, which is a really interesting thing. And I think Riley Keough and Taylor Page are also very, very good in the movie. Riley Keough especially is really great. And not a lot happens in it. It's kind of the thing like <laughs> like by the end of the movie, uh, it ends fairly abruptly. And I think it has a funny ending uh, ish, like a funny ish ending. And then it kind of ends and then the credits start rolling and you're like, huh? So th- this is the story that everyone was talking about on, <laughs> on Twitter. This is the big thing. Uh, it feels like there could have been more to it. But uh, in any case, I did enjoy the experience of watching it again. I think it is one of the most extraordinarily well-made movies I've seen this year. Uh, and so definitely worth it just for that. Like the actual look of it is great. Uh, but by the end of it, it's like, oh, this feels kind of empty. Yeah, I had I've never read the the, the thread either. Uh, I think A24 even sold it or it's even in the like, you know, they sell the the screenplay books or whatever on A24's website. Yeah, Uh, I think there is one that's like the complete thread or something like that. That is just like a write up of the thing, uh, which is pretty cool or pretty funny, at least. Um, So this is definitely one that was on my my radar and I'm 
don't know, don't really feel a particular draw to get to it like right away. Um, I'll probably see it when it hits, you know, free streams somewhere at some right. point. Right. Uh, but yeah, that is Zola, which I watched at the Roxy Theater here in Missoula, the uh, any theater near my house, Missoula, Montana. And uh, also wanted to mention a new movie, uh, which is on HBO Max right now. And uh, this wasn't really on my radar. Uh, and I saw like one or two critics tweeting about it. And I was like, OK, this sounds pretty good. And then I was like kind of scrolling through movies. Saw it was on HBO Max. Saw it was 75 minutes long. And I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> let's Fuck do yeah. this. Uh, and this is a movie called Shiva Baby, uh, which is uh, directed by Emma Seligman, uh, based on her own short film from a couple of years ago. Uh, stars Rachel Senna and Molly Gordon. Molly Gordon, who is in uh, Booksmart. She played a triple mm-hmm. A in that movie, like the girl that uh, gets kind of made fun of, uh, yeah. like is considered kind of a slut in school. And she's also in Good Boys playing like the older sister. Like she was in Booksmart and Good Boys in the same year, both of which are like kind of the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and she's and she's great in both of them. I really enjoyed uh, her presence there. And she's really good in Shiva Baby, too. Uh, but this is a movie about this uh, girl who has to go to a uh, Shiva. It's a very Jewish movie. Also, throw that out there. Right. Uh, it's very steeped in Jewish culture. And she goes to a Shiva. You know, someone has passed away and she has to go to like basically the equivalent of the wake sort of thing uh, or like the after party of the wake. Right. Uh, and she's there. And while she's there, she runs into her ex-girlfriend played by Molly Gordon and also her uh, sugar daddy, uh, who you see her sleeping with at the beginning of the movie. And it turns out he knows her parents. And so uh, it is a very it's a comedy drama uh, and it is a very, very awkward watch. Uh, so if you're not <laughs> into that, <laughs> then then uh, steer clear. But I think the interesting thing about this movie is it is a comedy drama thing, but it also plays up the claustrophobia so much uh, with this character in, in this party that they're at. Uh, and it feels like a horror movie throughout the movie. And actually the score, the score for the movie sounds like the score for like hereditary. Uh, wow. Like it's all like, you know, strings that go like, bloop, 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 yeah. like that, like that kind of thing. Uh, and so that's like the sounds you're hearing throughout the movie. And as like, people are kind of like closing in and closing in on people, but it's all her just like getting sucked into conversations that she doesn't want to have kind of thing. Like that's, right. that's the story of the movie. And the entire thing takes place over the course of this one party. Uh, and it is a, a really good, like I really, really enjoy this. It's in my top 10 of the year right now. Uh, and definitely uh, worth watching. It is a, a really clever, interesting version of this kind of story. Like one that I don't think I've kind of seen before. Yeah. This is one that definitely was on my radar earlier in the year. Cause I, th- a couple of critics I saw or I follow and stuff were talking about it, but I, they mentioned that it's like that really awkward, uncomfortable humor stuff, which gets really under my skin. Yeah. So I was like, ah, I want to watch it, but I don't want to watch it. <laughs> uh, so I haven't gotten to it. Uh, but it did just actually get a Blu-ray from, I think, Utopia Pictures or something. It's one of the partner labels with Vinegar Syndrome. So it's available for sale on Vinegar Syndrome's website, Blu-ray, if you want it. Oh, <laughs> which nice. Which is pretty cool. So it's one of those things that like I, I saw that, too, and was like... I want to, I want that, but I don't want to watch it, but maybe I should watch it first to see if I could even handle it before I buy it. Uh, but knowing it's on just on, on HBO max, right? You said HBO uh, max. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll just throw it on and check it out there and see how, see how I, how I handle it. It seems pretty cool. I want to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely recommend. And again, I think if you, if you can't handle awkward cringe comedy, try watching it with the hereditary score looped on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, makes it way more intense. Uh, but yeah, so that's Shiva baby on HBO max. And then real quick, wanted to mention, uh, another new movie, uh, just came out recently, the sequel to 2019's escape room, or maybe it was 2020's escape room. It's been so long. Who knows? Uh, I think it was 2019, two normal months in 2020. Remember <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So it was probably 2019. Uh, this is escape room Two. Tournament of Champions uh, with director Adam Robital returning to the Escape Room series. Uh, have you ever seen the first Escape Room, Mike? I have not. OK, a shockingly fun 
horror movie. And I wasn't expecting anything from it because uh, it was like a January, like first weekend of January type release. Like, ah, yeah, that's the dumping ground for horror movies. And uh, every once in a while you get like, one sneaks by. That's actually pretty solid. And uh, Escape Room is that movie. I think it's goofy, but it knows it's goofy and has a lot of fun with the concepts of escape rooms trying to kill you. Uh, and Escape Room 2. Uh, deals with the two protagonists from the first movie who come back in this one and uh, they're trying to find like the corporation that developed the escape rooms that tried to kill them in the first place. And uh, in the process, they end up in another series of escape rooms. <laughs> <laughs> who could have predicted? Uh, but now they're in with other people who also have won these escape rooms in the past from this evil corporation. Uh, uh, the titular tournament of champions. Exactly. At some point, somebody says, so what is this? Some kind of tournament of champions? <laughs> Uh, I can't tell if you're joking. Or not. I am nuts. It is. Yes. I'm so glad. Are we some kind of suicide squad here? What's going on? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's a, a really fun, like just the, I like it, I've never done an escape room and like watching these movies makes me want to do an escape room. Probably one that won't try to kill me, but still mm-hmm. like just the, uh, it does actually like effectively convey like the kind of working together aspect of like trying to solve puzzles and like, you know, so many different clues kind of popping up and like leading you to the next clue here and there. And this movie has like the extra stakes of like, you have three minutes to solve this puzzle kind of thing. And like right. 10 clues have to be solved in that amount of time. And uh, just the hecticness of all that is, uh, is really fun. Uh, also some like fun twists towards the end of the movie for people who have seen the first one, uh, which this movie also starts with like a recap of what happened in the first movie too. <laughs> good, good. Like good. literally like previously on escape room kind of thing. It's like amazing. <laughs> almost what exactly what they do uh so yeah escape room tournament champions it's like i would say like a, you know we're talking about like kind of teen horror movies with uh, the fear streets this is like the teen horror movie version of saw you know right. is is sort of the best way i could describe it like these are the saw movies if they were aimed more squarely at teenagers than they already are that's awesome i'm <laughs> glad that there's a uh, you know a thing like that that exists <laughs> exactly uh so yeah escape room tournament of champions it is in theaters right now and i'm sure we'll be hitting video on demand uh, relatively soon. Uh, and then wanted to throw out a couple of uh, quick viewings for hip strip movie night, which uh, the Roxy theaters putting that on across the street from the theater and uh, the parking lot in front of the senior center. Uh, they showed high fidelity and do the right thing. Uh, these last couple of weeks, I had never seen high fidelity before. Pretty good movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, solid. John Cusack is a slacker hanging out at a record store. Jack Black's his employee and, you know, just uh, chilling and him trying to figure out what his you know life is going to be. Uh, John Cusack is a huge asshole in the movie and, uh, you know, especially <laughs> an asshole to like the previous like relationships in his life. Um, but that is like largely the point of the movie because it's like about him learning to not be an asshole. But that was like too much. My girlfriend handles. She literally left the movie like, wow, <laughs> like we're in like, I mean, luckily, like this parking lot is like around the corner from my house. Like I said, it's right by the Roxy. Uh, and so like we like we had our lawn chair set up and then she like halfway through, she was like, are you going to be mad if I just like leave? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> no, go ahead, I guess. And so she just packed up her chair and went home. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, but I really enjoyed High Fidelity. I thought it was pretty solid. And then also do the right thing all-time masterpiece, like one of the 10 best movies ever made. Uh, and so got to watch that uh, for Hipstrip Movie Night on a day that was uh, supposed to reach 102 degrees in Missoula, uh, which was wow. an oddly fitting way to watch Do the Right Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. right up there with your uh, rear window in a, in a uh, you know, apartment <laughs> courtyard. Yes, yeah, to watch Do the Right Thing in a parking lot, like on a summer night when it's 100 degrees outside, uh, pretty solid. Definitely a, an immersive experience for sure. Uh, so I wanted to mention those. Also, uh, Stand By Me. They did play that at uh, Centerfield Cinema recently, which is at uh, Ogren Park, the uh, minor league baseball stadium near my house in Missoula, Montana, uh, which I hadn't seen that in a few years. And uh, yeah, very good movie. I enjoy Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner and starring. Really, it's weird. It's kind of crazy how like all four of those kids are like major 
people. It's like yeah. Will, Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, uh, Jerry O'Connell, and Corey Feldman. Yeah, Corey Feldman is the other one too. Yeah, and it's it's kind of weird how like all of them went on to be like you know kind of big names uh, throughout the eighties and nineties and beyond. Kind of cool to uh, watch that and watch it in the stadium and all that kind of stuff. The usual, and then finally a Mike DiCrescio favorite uh, at the Roxy Garden, uh, which is behind the Roxy Theater. Uh, they showed Twister this past weekend. <laughs> hashtag debauchery. Yeah, hashtag debauchery. Uh, so, of course, I went to go see Twister again. The f- second time I've watched Twister in like eight months or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed watching Twister. And this time I feel like I appreciated it even more because it was with a solid crowd of like 30 people. Uh, mm-hmm. And everybody was like, yeah, it's time for the cows and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. People were excited for the movie, uh, which was cool. And you know, there's like the one moment where like the tornado first shows up. My girlfriend turns to me. He's like, that looks really fake. He's like, yeah, but like most of it still holds up pretty good. Yeah, but like <laughs> but, look through it. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine you're in 1996, you know, <laughs> yeah. Imagine you're on a soundstage at Universal Studio. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you've just watched a video with Bill Paxton telling you what you're about to see. <laughs> But yeah, so that is a twister played at the Roxy Garden, a Mike D babysitter movie, and uh, got to rewatch that uh, this past weekend. And that, I think, brings us to the end of our discussions, Mike. Yes, we did it. We covered all of your movies. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about Fear Street for a while, I think. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. I mean, there were three movies to cover, so it was a long conversation. But uh, yeah. Uh, Yes. So that is going to be it for uh, this week's episode of the podcast. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you can do that at our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash bike and Mike Pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yes, indeed. I just realized I should have introduced you at the beginning of the podcast uh, by saying, like, and joining me as always, it's a guy who's in it for money, not the science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have. I should have. Uh, that was, that was a mistake. <laughs> File that away for the next time we talk about Twister. Yeah, so that was like roughly like six months from now. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll throw that on again. Uh, and you can find me online at uh, msmithfilmblog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film and Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Don't forget to rate and interview the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike Mike Pod on Twitter. And you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside all kinds of other podcasts uh, about all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. On the next episode, Charlie McCorn from the Roxy Theater, which is the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. Uh, she's going to join us to talk to the theater's upcoming Camp Horror Film Festival, uh, which I am very excited about. Obviously, Mike, you won't be there because you're in New York. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that makes me sad. Yes, but uh, they were talking about this, uh, you know, because this is kind of part of the trash talk series of the Roxy where they show older exploitation, horror movie, B-movie kind of things. And they were talking about doing this. Uh, they were planning it for 2020. And then, you know, it didn't happen uh, in 2020. (laughs) Uh, So this is a long time coming. This is uh, is finally going to be happening at the end of August. And I am very excited about it. So we're going to be talking about Camp Horror Film Festival. And Charlie's going to make us watch Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak as well. Doing a guest makes Mike watch there, too, Uh, which is a movie I've never seen. I don't think you've ever seen either. Right, Mike? Uh, I actually have seen it. Oh, you uh, have? Because I have. Yes, it's on Shudder because, well, so it's on Shudder. And uh, there's a Joe Bob uh, Briggs episode, a last drive in episode on Castle Freak, and I watched. I happened to watch that episode uh, of that movie. So, yeah, if you want some extra context, if you want to play along at home, uh, go on Shudder. They have the regular version, and then, like, the non-Joe Bob version, with, and right. then also uh, the one with all his, you know, extra stuff he always talks about. Uh, nice. So, so check out Castle Freak before next week's episode. Nice. Yeah, I have not seen Castle Freak, and I could watch it at home, but... 
I already had my tickets to watch it at the Roxy Theater. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Roxy nice. show we get on Friday. This is the big return of Trash Talk after a year and a half of not being able to do it. Uh, so, yeah, very excited to uh, check that out finally. Castle Freak and the Camp Horror Film Festival next week. In the meantime, The Complete Works is talking Jeff Goldblum's cameo in the Mr. Show movie Run, Ronnie, Run. Uh, so that's coming out tomorrow as of this recording. Uh, or, you know, as of this recording, we just recorded that one. But this episode will be out the day before the Golden episode. It's been a long day. Anyway, uh, that is the You'll end. You'll hear it soon. That's <laughs> yes. the moral of the story. Someday it will be in your podcast feed. Uh, and there is a movie that we could have been talking about during the discussions, but we figured we would save it for the next Goldblum episode, which won't be a Goldblum episode. It'll be a Cage episode. Of course, we're talking about Pig. Hell yeah. Yes. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah, buckle up. Uh, next week, Pig is on the menu. Uh, and that is the end. <laughs> of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. (laughs) 